Chapter Six of the Witches of New York by Q. K. Philander Dostics. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six, in which are narrated the wonderful workings of Madame Morrow, the Astonisher, of Number Seventy Six Broom Street, and how, by a crinolinic stratagem, the individual got a sight of his future husband. Chapter Six. Madame Morrow, the Astonisher, Number Seventy Six, Broom Street. Madame Morrow is the only one of the fortune-telling fraternity in New York who refuses to dispense her astrological favors to both sexes. She positively declines receiving any visits from gentlemen, and confines her business attention exclusively to ladies, of whom many are her regular customers. One reason for this course of conduct is that she imagines her own sex to be the more credulous and more readily disposed to put faith in her claims to supernatural knowledge, and she naturally prefers to deal with believers rather than with skeptics. Her lady customers are more tractable and easily managed than men, and are not so apt to ask puzzling and impertinent questions, and, as the madam can manage more of them in a day, of course the pecuniary return is larger than if she exercised her art in behalf of curious masculinity as well of her history before she engaged in her present business not much is known to those who have met her only of late years for with regard to her early life she chooses to exercise a politic reticence the whole style of the woman however her dress manner and conversation are strong indications that her younger and more attractive days were not passed in a nunnery but more probably in establishments where free love is more than a theory the character of the greater part of her lady visitors is of a grade that goes to corroborate this supposition and leads to the belief that among women of doubtful virtue old acquaintance is not easily forgot by far the greater number of madame morrow's customers are girls of the town and women of even more disreputable character the fact that a visit to this renowned sorceress must be paid in a feminine disguise made the attempt to secure an interview of more than ordinary interest how this difficulty was mastered and how an entrance was finally effected into the citadel from which all mankind is rigorously excluded is best told in the words of the individual who accomplished that curious feat how the cash customer visited the astonisher how he was astonished and how he saw his future husband the cash customer in pursuit of a wife had been rebuffed but was not disheartened he had so to speak fought a number of very severe hymeneal rounds and got the worst of them all but he had taken his punishment like a man and had still wind and pluck to come up bravely to the matrimonial scratch when time was called and as yet showed no signs of giving in his backers if he had any would have still been tolerably sure of their money and not painfully anxious to hedge the bets would have been about even that he'd win the fight yet and come out of the battle a triumphant husband instead of being knocked out of the field a disconsolate and discomfited bachelor but although his ardor had not cooled and though his strength and determination still held out 
he had grown slightly cautious and had conceived a plan for going like a spy into the camp of the enemy and there thoroughly reconnoitering the positions that he had to storm and at the same time making himself master of the wiles and stratagems that were the peculiar weapons of the female foe and so learn some infallible way to capture a first quality wife at any rate he would give himself the benefit of the doubt and make the experiment he would a wooing go not apparelled in conquering broadcloth in subjugating marseilles or overpowering doeskin but carrying the unaccustomed but not less potent weapons of laces moirantique crinoline and gaiters in fact there was also a stern necessity in the case for the lady on whom he had now set his young affections was particular as to her customers and did not admit the shirt-collar gender to the honor of her confidence but what was this to stop him if the lady shut out the whole masculine world from the inevitable fascinations of her superabundant charms was it not for sweet charity's sake that a whole community might not go into ecstatic frenzies over her peerless beauty and all men being stricken in love of the same woman go to cutting each other's throats with bowie knives and other modern improvements it was easy to see that madame morrow did not want to become another helen to be abducted to some modern troy and have a ten years row and any quantity of habeas corpuses and innumerable contempts of interminable courts after the modern fashion of conducting a strife about a runaway maiden such a considerate beauty veiling her undoubted fascinations from the rude gaze of man from purely prudential reasons must be a prize of rare value and well worth the winning her qualifications in magic too seemed to be of the very first order to judge from her notification to the wonder-seeking world astonishing to all madame morrow claims to be the most wonderful astrologist in the world or that has ever been known as i am the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter who is also a great astrologist i have a natural gift to tell past present and future events of life i have astonished thousands during my travels in europe i will tell how many times you are to be married how soon and will show you the likeness of your future husband and will cause you to be speedily married and you will enjoy the greatest happiness of matrimonial bliss and good luck through your whole life i will also show the likeness of absent friends and relations and i will tell so true all the concerns of life that you cannot help being astonished no charge if not satisfied gentlemen not admitted number seventy six broom street near columbia there was but one thing in this that troubled the individual with any particularly sharp pangs he intended to marry the astonisher but he was a little bothered what to do with the seven daughters for of course the madam would not fail to follow the excellent example of her revered mother and would never stop short of the mystic number he finally concluded that all his duties as a father would be faithfully performed if he taught them to read write and play on the piano and then gave them each a sewing machine to begin the world with he did think of bringing them up for the ballet but their success in that profession being somewhat dependent on the size and symmetry of their dancing implements he felt it would be improper to positively determine on that line of business before he had been favored with a sight of the young ladies 
reserving therefore his decision on this knotty point until time should further develop the subject he prepared for the unsexing which was indicated as an inevitable preliminary to a visit to madame morrow by the sentence gentlemen not admitted he proposed to get himself up in a way that would slightly astonish the madame herself although she had faithfully promised in her advertisement to astonish him he would have been willing to wager a small sum that with all her witchcraft she would be unable to keep that promise for in the regular course of his business he had become so accustomed to marvels wonders and miracles that the upheaval of a volcano in the park wouldn't discompose him unless it singed his whiskers he had a strong desire however to realize the old sensation of astonishment and he was of the opinion that the likeness of his future husband would accomplish that feat if anything could heroic was johann and withal ingenious and this then was his wonderful plan he would visit this madame morrow not by proxy but in his own proper person if not as a man then as a woman yes he would petticoat himself up to the required dimensions if it took a week to tie on the machinery off with the pantaloons on with the skirts down with the broadcloth hurrah for the cotton and hay for the victory and a look at his future husband to an inventor of theatrical costumes hide he with this fell design in his heart the requisite paraphernalia were bargained for and sent home to the ambitious voyager who at the sight thereof was astonished in advance and stricken aghast by the complicated mysteries of laces ribbons strings bones buttons pins capes collars and other inexplicable articles that met his gaze the question instantly occurred could he get into these things not a bit of it he would sooner undertake to report in shorthand the speech of a thundercloud and with much better prospects of success he felt his own insignificance and as he looked out at the window he regarded a passing female with awe he felt that he was fast becoming imbecile not to say idiotic when he bethought him of his friends two discreet married men who knew the ropes were called to the rescue and began the work they piled on layer after layer of the material and in the course of four or five hours had built him into a pyramid of the proper size when they gave him their solemn assurance that he was all right he has since discovered that they had tied his undersleeves round his ankles and that the things he wore on his arms must have belonged somewhere else there was trouble about the hair and it required the combined ingenuity and wisdom of the masculine trio to keep the bonnet on and this difficulty was only overcome at last by tying strings from the inside of the crown of that invention to the ears of the sufferer then and not till then had anybody thought of the whiskers they must be sacrificed and though the miserable victim to his own ambition consented to the disfigurement how was it to be accomplished the luckless johann could no more sit down in a barber's chair than the city hall could get into an omnibus at last he knelt down which was the nearest approach he could make to a sitting position and jenkins mounted on the bed shaved him as well as he could at arm's length when the operation was concluded his head looked as if it had been parboiled and the skin taken off 
he didn't dare to curse jenkins for his clumsiness knowing that if he relieved his mind in that desirable manner jenkins would refuse to help him undress when he wanted to get out of the innumerable manacles that now confined every joint he was as helpless as a turtle that the unkind hand of ruthless man has rolled over on his back however the disguise was complete he looked in the glass and thought he was his own landlady his best friends wouldn't have known him and the teller of the bank would have pronounced him a forgery and refused to certify him he felt like a full-rigged clipper-ship and got under sail as soon as possible and bore down upon madame morrow's residence he nearly capsized as he stepped into the street but he righted after a heavy lurch to the northeast and kept his course without further serious disaster he made a speedy run to broom street the voyage being accomplished in less than the expected time although a heavy sea in the shape of a boy with a wheelbarrow struck him amidships on the corner of sheriff street doing some damage to his lower works and carrying away a yard or so of lace from his main skirt he finally came up to the house in splendid style and cast anchor on the opposite sidewalk to take an observation the anchorage was good and he rode securely for a short time until he could repair damages he having carried away some of his upper rigging in other words he had caught his veil on a meat hook and had been unable to rescue it he rigged a sort of jury veil with the end of his shawl so that he could hide his blushing countenance in case of too close scrutiny madame morrow lives as he now discovered in a low three-story brick house which cannot be called dirty simply because that mild word expresses an approximation towards cleanliness which no house in this locality has known for years city readers can get an idea of its condition by understanding that it is in the worst part of the hook to readers in the country who have luckily never seen anything filthier than a barnyard no information can be given which would meet the case sunshine is the only protection for a well-dressed man against the population of this part of town in the twilight or darkness he would be robbed if not corroded and murdered the boldest and most desperate burglars and others of that stamp have their homes about here fathers who teach their children the thief's profession and mothers who carry pickpockets at the breast in the midst of this nest of crime the fortune-teller has her home and here she thrives the daring man protected by his false colors there being no officious authority in that neighborhood to exercise the right of search came alongside the house and prepared metaphorically to board that is he rang the bell he was admitted by an irish girl whose encrusted face showed that the same deposit of dirt had probably held possession undisturbed for weeks they had just entered the hall door when two small children who were contending for their vested rights with a big yellow dog that had interfered with their dinner commenced an unearthly squalling which for the instant made the millinery delegate fairly believe that Tophet was out for noon. The Hibernian maiden, with great presence of mind, immediately attempted to quiet the storm by administering to each inverted brat a sound correction, in the manner usually adopted by mothers. Particulars are omitted. Then she resumed her attentions to the stranger, and convoyed him into port in the parlor, 
securely harbored in this safe retreat, Johann took another observation. The room was small, and what few things were in it looked shabby and dirty, of course. The principal article of furniture was a huge basketful of soiled linen, which had probably been taken in to wash, and from a respectable family, for every single article looked ashamed to be caught in such company, and tried to burrow down out of sight. Disconsolate shirts elbowed humiliated socks, which in turn kicked against mortified flannels, or hid themselves beneath disconcerted sheets. Abashed shirt-collars and humble dickies tried to shrink out of sight in very shame beneath a dishonored tablecloth, the wine-stains on which showed it to belong in better society. A dejected and cast-down woman was assorting the despairing contents of the basket with a look of desolation. The girl, who had disappeared, now returned, and with an air of mystery slipped into the hand of her visitor a red card, on which was inscribed, No person allowed to remain in the establishment without a ticket. Please present this on entering Madame Morrow's room. Fee in full, one dollar. For an hour and a half after the receipt of this card, and the payment of one dollar, therefore, did Johann quietly wait in the room with the big basket, being entertained, meanwhile, by the two women who conversed with each other upon the relative merits of engines number 18 and 27, and with a long discussion as to the comparative personal beauty of Tom and Dick, who, it seemed, belonged respectively to those two mechanical constituents of our fire department. At the end of that time the Irish girl, who had succeeded in establishing Dick's claim to her satisfaction, arose and invited the stranger to the room of Madame Morrow. He passed up a narrow flight of stairs, the condition of which, as to dirt, was concealed by no friendly carpet. Then he sailed into a front parlor, which was furnished elegantly, and perhaps gorgeously, with carpets, mirrors, sofas, and all the usual requirements of a lady's apartment. Madame herself appeared at the door. She is a tall, sallow-looking woman, with a complexion the color of old parchment, with light brown eyes and light hair, being attired in a handsome delaine dress of half-mourning, and decorated with a costly cameo pin and eardrops. She looked not unlike a servant out for a holiday, making a sensation in her mistress's finery. She led her lovely visitor into a little closet-like room, in which were a bureau, two chairs, a table, a small stand, covered with a number of her business handbills, and a pack of cards. She asked first, What month was you born? On receiving the answer, the astonisher took a book from the bureau and read as follows, A person born in this month is of an amiable and frank disposition, benevolent, and an amiable and desirable partner in the marriage relation. Your lucky days are Tuesdays and Thursdays, on which days you may enter on any undertaking, or attempt any enterprise with a good prospect of success. Then she took up the cards again, and after the usual shuffling and cutting, the astonisher fired away as follows. You face luck, you face prosperity, you face true love and disinterested affection. You face a speedy marriage. You face a letter which will come in three days and will contain pleasant news. You face a ring. You face a present of jewelry done up in a small package. 
the latter will come within two hours two days two weeks or two months you face an agreeable surprise you face the death of a friend you face the seven of clubs which is the luckiest card in the pack you face two gentlemen with a view to matrimony one of whom has brown hair and brown eyes and the other has lighter hair and blue eyes they are both thinking of you at the present time but the nearest one you face is the one with light eyes your marriage runs within six or nine months there was very much more to the same effect but as johann was pining all this time for a look at his future husband he did not pay the strictest attention to it finally when she had finished talking she said step this way and see your future husband this was the eventful moment the disguised one went to the table and there beheld a pine box about the size of an ordinary candle box though shallower it was unpainted and decidedly unornamental as an article of furniture in one end of it was an aperture about the size of the eye-hole of a telescope this was carefully covered with a small black curtain this mystic contrivance was placed upon a table so low that the husband-seeker was compelled to go on his knees to get his eye down low enough to see through he accomplished this feat without grumbling although his knees were scarified by the whalebones which surrounded him the astonisher then drew aside the little curtain with a grand flourish and her customer beheld an indistinct figure of a bloated face with a moustache with black eyes and black hair it was a hang-dog thief-like face and one that he would not have passed in the street without involuntarily putting his hands on his pockets to assure himself that all was right but he felt that he had no hope of a future husband if he did not accept this one and he made up his mind to be reconciled to the match this contrivance for showing the future husband is sometimes called the magic mirror and may be procured at any opticians for a dollar and a quarter the future husband may of course be varied to suit circumstances by merely shifting the pictures at one end of the instrument or a horse or a dog might be substituted with equal propriety and probability disappointed and sick at heart and stomach the cash customer bore away for home and accomplished this return voyage without disaster he didn't so much mind the unexpected difference in the personal attractions of madame morrow from what he had hoped for he had been rather accustomed to disappointments of that sort of late but he couldn't see that his admission to the camp of the enemy had enabled him to spy out anything of particular advantage to him in future operations so he cogitated and mournfully whistled slow tunes as he cut himself out of his unaccustomed harness by the help of a penknife with a file blade End of chapter 6